0: Say it loud, please. Oh, uh, <laughs> a house, uh, uh a house you live in a home, you have a home there's a sort of connection. So there's like a, there's like an, an emotional connection or attachment to or a house you used to live in. Okay, so a house is functional, but a home is more relational. Any other thoughts on that? Well, a house has a peak roof. Yeah. A home is where family okay. Family dwells if you go online and and you can see a definition where it describes home as the place in which one's domestic affections are centered, right? So in other words, mom and dad, their heart, where their their heart opens up, where their heart um, feels the most safe, the most comfortable, where their heart gives the most is in their home. It's in their family dwelling. That's the way God intended it to be. Jesus says in John 14, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I I, would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. So you think of God who has all power, all authority in flesh. He's going to go to the cross. He's served His disciples, he's served them, he's invested in them, he's been intimate with them for about three years, and he's saying, I'm going to leave now, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to my dad and your dad, and I'm going to make a room in Father's home that is perfect for you. I'm going to make an eternal dwelling that you're going to get to be in forever. And it's going to be a perfect dwelling. And that's my priority right now, is to prepare a place for you in Father's house. Doesn't that say a lot about God? When you think about it, what are the values of God? What is the heart of God? What does God enjoy most about being God? Well, I think that it's fair to say One of the, if not the most, is being a family God. A God of a relationship and a God of family. And to think everybody here, and you may have had a great home experience, you may have had a horrible home experience, to think that the eternal God with all power and authority who gave you life is going to give you a home where you're going to be perfectly, fully satisfied. It's a joyful home. It's an intimate home. It's a safe home. It's a relational home for eternity. That's pretty neat to think about. I looked mainly through John 17. I looked through Luke 15. I looked through John 14. And you think of what is home intended to be. How did God intend family to function? What is home meant to look like? And what, what is home going to be like based on the nature and character of God, right? And our home experience was very much based on the nature and character of our mom and our dad, right? Their nature, their heart, their values set the home experience that we have, and now we have moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas in this home. You guys set the tone and the values of your house, In the Father's house, there's protection. John 17, 12, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, when I was with them, with my disciples, I protected them and kept them safe. That was one of Jesus' main priorities, to protect his disciples and keep them safe. So good parents, a good home, these parents are going to make it a priority to protect their kids and keep them safe okay safe from what any thoughts on what is this safe and you could you could say it on the god level or the the natural human level what did jesus keep his disciples safe from and it a couple verses later it does say any thoughts on that yes the evil one the evil one jesus wants us to be kept safe from the devil from the demons from the powers of darkness And that fact reveals something, that we are in a spiritual war. There is a power of darkness that is trying to destroy our families, destroy our lives, attack our faith, rob us, steal us, kill. Is that biblical, what I'm saying? Jesus came into a war, and he was attacked by a devil. Satan has sought to sift you as wheat. But when you're restored, you know... Jesus is talking to Peter. He's praying for Peter because he knows Satan is going to have a severe, a severe attack against Peter. And Peter's faith fails him for a time, but then he's restored. And he strengthens the disciples afterwards, right? So Jesus asks the Father to protect us from the evil one. I think that's a good prayer that we need to pray. In our lives, how does the evil one come at us? Any thoughts on that? Friends, relationships, there's your offense, accusation. accusation. Okay, certainly through what can be through the family. Jobs. through Jobs, sure. I'll just throw out some. Um, Satan works through fear, abuse, perversion, lies, physical harm, neglect, starvation, uncontrollable anger, intimidation, manipulation, control. We have our sin. We have our sin propensities. And sometimes in family lines, you see that certain people are mo- more prone to, to yield to certain sinful behaviors. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down your anger lest who got a foothold? Who's going to do it? Huh? Satan. Satan. Okay. So when Jesus says to protect, he wants us to be protected from the evil one, we want to agree with him, and we want to protect our families from different attitudes that are going to be very damaging for us, our spouse, and our kids, okay? So if we struggle with uncontrolled anger, we need to work on that because that's really going to hurt our families. It's going to hurt us. Trust. Is God trustworthy? Yes. Has he ever not been trustworthy? No. Um, faithfulness is a quality of God. Great is thy faithfulness, right? There are songs about this. The leaders of a home are faithful. They're true to their word. They walk in integrity. They walk in character, right, to say something and then do something totally different. You know, do what I say, don't do what I, I do. If you grow up in that environment or if, say, your, your parent is abusive, or your parent doesn't care about your needs, is that going to build trust or mistrust? Mistrust, right? And if we think about it, for some of us, it's way easier to trust people or even to trust God than for others, right? Some of us have a hard time trusting. And if that's the case, it's probably not because you're bad or your your faith is weak. Maybe it's because mistrust was sown into you. So that's something to think about for us people who are leaders, who are parents who are going to create a home. We want to be faithful. We want to be trustworthy. We want to attend to the needs of the people. In, in the Bible, it, it talks about qualifications for elders. And it says you've got to manage your family well at home. And that means that you meet your wife's needs. It means that you don't choose ministry above family. right? It, it me- means that your, your children are satisfied, that their hearts are nourished. It means that you spend quality time with them, right? Psalm 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. He is faithful in all that he does. The Bible says God is love, right? Love never fails. Love never ends. Love always does the right thing. Agape love always does the right things. And God always keeps his promises. Okay, this one is maybe a little less obvious, but I'm going to use the word freedom. Go to Luke 15. You don't have to open it if you don't want to. But Luke 15, 11 through 32 talks about the prodigal son. you got a good dad. He is a good, loving father, and he's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of property. And he has two kids, and he's got servants. And the one son young guy thinking, hey, I just want this property. I want to go party it up. I want to live it up and satisfy the flesh. Now, the the, the dad has the authority in this family, right? And the dad could have said no. The dad could have said, you know what, you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to squander my resources. You're going to squander it all. I am not letting you do this. And, in fact, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to force you to do the right thing because I have the authority to do it. He could have done that, but he didn't. Does that make sense to us? I mean, why did he say yes? He knew that the son was immature and he was going to make some bad decisions and squander a lot of resources. Why did he cater to the son's selfish immaturity and squandering of resources? Any thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Okay, so what she's suggesting is that the dad is more interested in the son's heart than in the resources or the good decision-making. And his end goal was to have a good, loving, intimate relationship with the son where the son chooses the dad above all the pleasures of the world and the money. Does that make sense? Okay. Is God controlling in the way He relates to us? Or does He give us freedom? Freedom to make mistakes. Freedom to disobey. Freedom to say no. Freedom to hurt ourselves. Right? He could force us to do the right thing, but He doesn't. Does He encourage us? Does He convict us? Yes. But I, I want to suggest that healthy home life that reflects kingdom home life the home of God, that there is a liberty to make decisions and even bad decisions, and you can give counsel, you can encourage, and uh, obviously there's a certain age-appropriate way to respond to kids in this matter. If they're little, you can't really do that. But when they start getting more mature and understanding, you can either try and keep them under your thumb to be nice little Christians Um And it might look uh, good on the outside, but on the inside, there's probably a lot of rebellion and a lot of resentment, right? Or you can let them live their lives from their hearts and make decisions and learn and grow in the process. That's the way of the Lord, and that's the way that brings true maturity. So God is not controlling. He respects our free wills, and he values our freedom, above a lot of other things in life, like even our obedience. Unconditional celebration. How many felt celebrated growing up? I really felt celebrated. I felt like my parents loved me. They showed this in different ways. Birthdays, obviously, that's a, a good way to do it. Other ways. The prodigal son returns home after doing everything wrong. Everything wrong, right? And if we... Some of us maybe would have returned home after doing everything wrong. Rejection, resentment, criticism, judgment. We probably would have been met with that. Some of us would have if we screwed up because we grew up in homes that were based on our performance and not on unconditional love and unconditional value, being created in the image of God. Okay, When the son who wasted maybe $200,000 of the father's resources and committed sexual morality, really hurt and dishonored, the father came home. What did the the father do? Did he punish him or judge him or say, you've got to be a servant for two years and then if you live well enough, I'm going to reinstate you to sonhood? Is that what he did? He did something profoundly, incredibly insane. He had a party. After my son failed and, and squandered $200,000, I'm just going to have a party. I'm going to celebrate. That doesn't make any sense to our natural minds. But it makes sense to God. And the point of the story is, in fact, to show us what the Father is like. Jesus wanted to show the Pharisees how generous Father God is. And this Father is a portrayal of Yahweh. The nature of God to see his son that screwed up and did everything wrong and sinned and hurt other people and allowed himself to get hurt. He looked beyond all that. He looked beyond all of that. Did it hurt him? Yes. Did it grieve him? Yes. But he looked and said, this is my son, and I love you regardless of whether you're successful or you do everything wrong. You're back with me. You've chosen me, and I'm just going to celebrate you because you're my son. And it was a lavish feast. It was a lavish celebration. And even so much that it offended the older brother. Right? This guy squanders all your resources and you're giving him a party. That's not how it should be. This isn't justice. No, it's not justice, but it's love. That's what love does. Right? Love celebrates and values people unconditionally. Deep relationship. Jesus says some pretty crazy things in John 17. John 17, 23, when he's praying to the Father for what his relationship, how he wants it to be with his followers, his brothers, his disciples. He prays that, that he would literally be in them, that Jesus would literally be in them. And, and he, he goes on to say that, that he is in Christ, or he is in Father God, Father God's in him. Why do you think God Wants to literally be in us. Is it because he likes our intestines, or what? I mean, why? Why does God, who made that choice, want to literally dwell in us? Any thoughts on that? He's outlandishly in love with us. I like that response. He's outlandishly in love with us. Some, some of you. Have probably fallen in love with others, and have you ever thought of this idea? I almost wish, like, our spirits could intermingle. I could somehow, like, get inside them in a way. Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, Nick and, and Tabitha, your love is so deeply profound. I mean, do you ever want to get inside Tabitha like that? I mean, just such a deep intimacy. Anybody think along those lines ever? Okay, they have. Okay, so I believe that reveals to us that God loves us so incredibly much. And he wants such a deep, intimate relationship with us. And that's why Jesus is praying that he can literally be in us and we screw up and we sin and we fall short and we don't think the right things. But even in the midst of that, when I sin, when I fall, guess who's in me? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right? God is in me. God is dwelling in me regardless of what I do and he's not going to leave me. He's not going to say, I've had enough of your failures. I've had enough of your shortcomings. I'm just going to get out of there. Your body's no longer going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. No, I've committed to you, and I'm going to be as intimate as possible with you through thick and thin. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. My grandmother disowned one of her daughters. That's not the love of God. That's conditional love. Maybe our parents did show us this kind of love and celebration, or maybe it was very much conditional and based on performance. And I, I didn't intend this message to be an inner healing message, but what I will say is you could apply it as such. You could take any of these different qualities of what God home is intended to be And if I didn't experience it, you know what? It damaged me. It really damaged me. And maybe after the message, I can reflect on that. I can ask the Lord, God, I did not get this unconditional love. I did not get this intimacy that you designed me to need in order to function well. So help me through this. Help me to forgive and bring that to me. Unconditional love, Luke 15, 20. Remember, the son makes all the mistakes but here comes daddy, and he is not proper. He is not formal, and his heart is not closed from his son who hurt him. He runs to his son, which is undignified. He embraces his son, and he kisses him. He kisses the son. He shows him affection. There's a physical embrace that is so, um, so full of love, so full of affection. Right? God expresses his love in lavish ways, in powerful ways, and love is meant to be expressed. In fact, it doesn't transform people until you express it. I can have a lot of love for somebody, but if I don't express it, it's not going to do any good for them. Right? The Proverbs says, better, better an open rebuke than hidden love. Right? It's so good to express our love and in a family environment. We need love. We're designed for love. We're made in the image of God. He is love. So the more we we step out in faith and take risks and express our feelings towards one another in the sense of love, especially towards our children, that's going to bring so much life and transformation within the family. It's going to be amazing. The Apostle John, some people refer to him as the Apostle of Love. John 22, he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. I think his identity literally became that of the beloved. And he refers to the body of Christ as the beloved in his letters. He he came to such a deep place being rooted and grounded in the love of God. And that became his identity. For some of us, our identity is the worker. It could be the prophet. It could be the power-anointed person. It could be the athlete. It could be whatever, the Mr. Brainiac intelligent person, Mr. Wealthy person. God wants us to go deeper than all of that, right? We come to a place of spiritual freedom and true identity when we come to the revelation that we are the beloved, and it's unconditional that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And then we become free from all this other stuff, this performance. People who have the identity of beloved, they don't go into addictions because their heart is satisfied, right? If people go into addictions, it could be a ministry addiction. It could be a pornography addiction. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's being driven by deficits. But we come to that place of intimate relationship. And this quality of love, we walk in freedom. When I go into a house, when I go to my, it could be a family home, do their eyes light up? Does a smile come on their face? Do they want to feed me? Do they, um, does their body language say, I want you here, you are welcome here, you're so important to me, I so value you? Does it cause joy to them? It should. We enter the Father's presence, you know what? He's a joyful God, and he gets even more joyful when we choose to spend time with him. Right? When people you love choose to spend time with you, does that bring you joy? Yeah. Joy is really relational. Joy is the fruit of love relationship. We want to be joyful people. We want to have meaningful eye contact with others. We want people to come into our homes and feel like they belong there, right? In God's home, there's belonging. In God's home, we are welcomed. We're not a burden. We're not just thrown into the corner, right? No, Jesus goes to prepare a specific place for every human being in this place. Every, every child of God is going to be so uniquely tended to, And whatever your nature is, whatever your likes are, whatever your preferences are, you know what? God's going to cater to that. Not only present tense, but in eternity. That's the kind of father he is. He knows us so intimately well, and he wants us to be fully satisfied. All I have is yours, Luke 15, 31. All I have is yours. The father says that to the ungrateful legalist. To the ungrateful elder son, all I have is yours. All I have is yours. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. I'm an heir of God, a choir with Christ. All of creation, ultimately, we're going to be stewards of it. We're going to take ownership of it for eternity. Right? God is giving us all of his resources because he loves us. Because he wants to trust us and empower us, that's pretty honoring when you think about it. And he's serious about it. This isn't just words. This is reality. Healthy homes are generous. The house of God is a generous place. We saw in Ephesians one three, Romans eight seventeen. God gives us everything. Ephesians three twenty through twenty one shows the extravagance of God and His nature and His heart towards His children it says that God gives us exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. You pray to God, you ask God for something, and to God it might look like a thimble, he's going to give you a bucket of blessing. He responds to our requests beyond even what we ask because that's how generous and kind and giving he is. And think of us, of his parents and family members, spiritual family members, if we had that attitude in giving towards one another. The joy of the Lord is my strength. God is a joyful giver. He is always joyful. Righteous is peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Righteous is peace and joy. Those are pretty nice emotions, aren't they? Pretty nice states of being. Well, seems that God's a pretty contented being, if if that's the fruit of his Holy Spirit, and that's what his kingdom looks like. Are we saved by grace or by works? Our relationship with God is based on grace, solely on grace. And If you think you can add on to that, add on to the cross, then you've got to get back to the real gospel because you can't. Jesus paid it all. Nothing can eradicate my sins but the blood of Christ because only he can fulfill the law. Only he can satisfy the wrath of God, the justice of God. Jesus did it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That was a choice of God. That reflects the nature and character and heart of God. So my relationship with God is based purely on grace, not on works. That's our dad, our parent. I can't do anything to earn his love. I can't do anything to lose his love. I can't do anything to gain his love. He loves me unconditionally regardless of what I'm doing. Okay, now let's, let's bring that to an earthly perspective. Okay, rules are important. God gave us rules. Rules are important families. But tell me what's more important, the relationship or the rules? What's meant to serve the other? Okay, I heard relationship. Okay. Now, if we in our homes just applied justice without grace and mercy, do you think there'd be any relationship there? Because in all reality, Everybody's going to screw up, and especially a little kid. They're growing, right? So do we use fear and intimidation and harsh punishment? Now, there is a place for discipline in the body of Christ and in the family, yes. But what if we become imitators of God in the way we parent, the way we do family, and we really respond with grace and mercy, do you think that's going to bring more transformation in people's lives than maybe harsh, like, hey, you broke the rules, and I'm going to spank you? Just a little food for thought here. The Bible says that don't you know that the kindness of God is intended to lead you to repentance? That's Romans 2.4. Is it harsh discipline that truly brings heart change, or is it harsh discipline that tends to harden the heart? Let's think about that, all right? Some of us who may have grew up under harsh, uh, harsh authoritarian parents, authoritarian parents, did we obey out of love or out of fear? Did we obey out of love? Did we want to have meaningful connections with our parents, or maybe we hated them because they so quenched and stifled our hearts and our wills and didn't listen to us? Right? Be, be be slow to speak and quick to listen. That's good for parents too. It's good for family to do that. Grace is getting things you don't deserve, right? We give kids things they don't deserve because they're our kids. Rules are important, but grace and unconditional love are more important. And you need that for a healthy family. You need that for a healthy church. Okay, I already, I already touched upon mercy. I want to hit patience. I'm, g- I'm, I'm glad that people have been patient with me in my Christian walk of maturity, so I've certainly dealt with immaturities. I still have immaturities. It's, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime walk to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Right? So if I look at somebody, do I see their shortcomings? And do I get offended at that? Or maybe the way they communicate, the way they look, or they keep struggling with this particular sin? Their personality might irritate me, whatnot. Do I look at that? Or do I see their strengths? Do I see how God has transformed them? Right? Do I see how God has intended them to be? Can I look by the the lens of the Holy Spirit, not the flesh, at who they are, God's destiny, and speak true identity into somebody? Right? You who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. So the Bible teaches us when people are weak, it could be in the form of sin, it could be in the form of losing control in some way. The Bible says I need to be patient with them. I need to bear with them, husbands and wives, right? It's not always a bed of roses, to my understanding. I'm not married. But do we respond with patience or do we respond with shame and anger, right? Which one is going to bring the true heart transformation, right? We don't want to force things on people. We don't want to try and conform them to our preferences. We want to love them, and that love is going to make them more like Jesus, right? It's love that makes us like Jesus, not fear, Psalm 103 says God satisfies our desires with good things. He's a joyful, giving God who's very intentional and very aware of what's going to make us happy, what's going to bring us satisfaction. The devil gives us a counterfeit. There's always a hook attached. There's always a string attached. He takes more than he gives us if we agree with his temptations and his path of fulfillment. But can we come to a place where we trust a generous, loving God to satisfy our desires with good things. I pray that we would. I pray that we would on our families. Joyful parents who value relationship above performance generate children who are very satisfied. They grow in their parents' joy. Right, some of us grew up in joy families. Joy was the the emotional quality of the home life. Some of us grew up in joyless families, depressed families, emotionally... Um emotionally just isolated families, okay? People growing up in that environment, they're going to have a lot of struggles that the people growing up in joy families did not have. And it's again, it's not their fault. But the grace of God can bring us into spiritual family. It says in the Psalms, the Lord says to so lonely in families, and then we can get that joy experience and the healing and the transformation and the love that God intended us to give. I remember when, when Paul said, during worship, you know, what is the house of God like? Somebody said safety. God is our refuge, our fortress, our strong tower. The righteous run in, and they are saved. Right. Do I have to put on some religious mask when I go into the house of God? I sure hope not, because God doesn't want me to. He knows everything that's going on inside, and he still loves me and accepts me. He looks at me through the merit and righteousness of Jesus. So, I can be honest about my weaknesses with God. And He's not going to be offended. He's not going to turn away. Okay? What if there were people in the body of Christ and in their families that were so safe, so non judgmental, so merciful, so understanding, that looked beyond our failures and faults into identity that we could be 100% ourselves? Wouldn't that be awesome? All right? Some of us, some of us felt safe to be ourselves, some didn't. And there's a lot of churches in the area where you've got to live up to a certain standard, look, talk, dress a certain way. If you have certain spiritual experiences, you're, you're valued more. That's not Father's home. That's performance. That's conditional love, and that causes severe damage. A lot of people have been hurt by church and church leaders. That's sad. A lot of hurt people in, in leadership in the church. That's just the way it is. Right? We want to be merciful to with everybody, but we want to create an environment of love and safety. I pray that everybody in this group would feel safe enough to be themselves and share their struggles and their hopes and their vulnerabilities um, with especially the leaders in this church, the peers in this church. If I don't feel like I can be vulnerable and share my weaknesses with somebody, you know what, they're not a safe person to me. I'm just not at that place. We want to get to that place. Discipline. Hebrews 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. But what is discipline? Is it an execution of justice? Or is there something beyond that? Biblically, there's something beyond that. Discipline, disciple, you see the same root word there. True godly discipline is intended to bring transformation, right? Transformational growth and character through understanding. Okay, now if somebody makes a mistake, maybe they're little, again, this is appropriate. Say your kid disobeys you and you spank them, that's appropriate. Okay, now let's say they're 15 years old and you spank them because they do something wrong. Is that really appropriate or constructive? Probably not. Okay, how does God as a loving, wise father who's really interested in our growth and we make mistakes, how does he deal with that? I would say he deals with it in a way that's very loving, merciful, and constructive. Sometimes discipline is hard, right? But sometimes it's not so hard. It's a matter of changing values and changing your heart, changing your character. And God's going to bring discipline in that way. Just a few days ago, a person I work with encountered another Christian who was very harsh to him and, and gave into to uncontrollable anger and was very verbally abusive. It really hurt him. A couple days later... He saw that same Christian guy who was nasty to him had some pain in his feet and he suggested to me that the reason that he had that pain in his feet was God was punishing him for his sin against his brother. You really think that was what God was doing? I don't. I don't. Because what would he have learned from that? How would it have changed his heart? It wouldn't have. It really It really wouldn't have. So, Remember, Jesus was punished for his sins. Do I get corrected? Does God discipline me and, and want to teach me out of sin? The answer is yes. But legally, justice has been paid for on the cross. So when Jesus, Father God, disciplines me, it's not to administer justice. It's to, ad- it's to bring teaching and transformation. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Okay. Does that sound biblical and liberating? Hopefully. Jesus is called rabbi, a lot. He's called rabbi, which means he's a teacher. He spends a lot of time teaching for the purpose of bringing understanding. Okay, How many of us can say that our parents were good teachers, or maybe we're parents? Are we making teaching, are we emphasizing teaching, bringing understanding to our families, to the body of Christ? Solomon, the wise one, wrote a whole book called Proverbs that really is meant to bring understanding to not just his children, but literally to the church, to the old covenant community, and God (laughs) brought that into the new covenant community, right? So home, parenting, Father God teaches us, right? The anointing, if it says that in 1 John 1, that the anointing, referring to the Holy Spirit, teaches you all things. That's one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to actually teach us. Those are the main roles of Jesus, teach us. Um, So a good parent is going to be teaching their children. There's a conditioning, right? We we had a dog in this area, maybe still around, Baylor. (laughs) Baylor is a biter. Baylor was a biter. And they say there's different ways to make dogs not bite. And one of the ways is you put your tongue inside of the the mouth and push on that jaw and that causes pain and so you literally condition the dog if they if they bite they're going to experience pain so they're going to stop biting oh the thumb the thumb sorry did i say tongue yeah so the thumb on their tongue yeah you don't put your tongue in the dog's mouth (laughs) you don't want to do that sorry for that yeah 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 so so anyway that dog is being conditioned to behave in a certain way that's not how God treats his children, and that's not how we should treat our children when they come to a certain age. We are meant to give them understanding, to equip them. Paul's not talking about equipping. The leaders are to equip the saints through teaching, through understanding, through impartation. Right? And parents are to equip, not condition their children, and help them, empower them to look at situations and apply discernment, apply wisdom to make good choices. Right They make good choices, not because they're forced to, or, or the parents going to reject them if they don't, but because they make a conclusion, I want to make good choices. And I've been equipped by my parents, or church leaders, whatever, to discern between good and evil. I have good critical thinking skills. and now I take ownership of my life. I become a responsible person. And I started making good decisions because I had parents and leaders in my life that actually taught me and gave me understanding as opposed to condition. Does that make sense? Hey, that's good parenting. And that's how good parent Father God responds to us. What the home of God does not look like is this. Rejection, neglect, guilt and shame, control, intimidation, manipulation, fear-based obedience, abuse, mistrust, okay? That is not the church. That is should not be in our families. I, it's not how God operates. The reality is there's no perfect family. There's no perfect parent. So we're moving to become more like Jesus, not only in our own lives but in our families. That's what we're going after, right? So if our families maybe identify, maybe we need to grow in some of these areas that I've addressed. Hey, I'm not there but I want to get there. Well, let's show ourselves grace but let's ask the Lord, how can I change in these certain areas? How can I grow to make my family more healthy and more like the kingdom of God? Okay, that, is that fair? I hope nobody was ashamed. I hope you were actually encouraged by what was shared because you can see what a good f- father God is and to think this is how he tends to his people. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to close and, and pray right now. Father, we thank you that you are a loving, wise, good, kind, caring, joyful, safe, merciful, committed, intimate Father. And that we all have an eternity of joy beyond comprehension to look forward to. I thank you for that, God. And I I just pray for a deeper revelation lord where our filters of who you are need to be adjusted i pray that they'd be adjusted that we could see you in your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and i pray that we could become more like you in our character and our heart god and how we respond to people especially in grace and I, I lift up every family here every natural and every spiritual family and i pray father for those families to become more joyful more intimate and more like your family, reflections of your kingdom. And We just thank you for mercy. We thank you, Lord, we can't do this on our own, but you give us the power to do it because you're so invested in us, and you're rooting us on. You are not accusing, but you are supporting, and you're saying, good job, and you're rooting us on into becoming more like you. And um, Father, just bless everyone here Give them joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.